Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio. We believe that we've achieved our mission at Group Black, but we're no longer necessary. Hi, I'm Michael Casson. Welcome to Good Company, where I'll explore how marketing, media, entertainment, and tech are intersecting, transforming our lives and the way we do business at a breakneck speed. I'll be joined by some of the greatest business minds and strongest leaders who will share how they've built companies from the ground up or transformed them from the inside out. My bet is you'll pick up a lesson or two along the way. It's all good. It's a great pleasure to welcome a good friend and a new partner, Travis Montague, to Good Company. Travis, I want to thank you for joining me today. Michael, it's always good to get an invite from you. Well, there you go. Just by giving our listeners a little bit of background, Travis is the founder and CEO of Holler and the co-founder and CEO of Group Black. And I'm certain when I can elicit a view into his strategy and who he is as an important member of our marketing and media and advertising and technology community, you're all going to know why I was excited to not only welcome Travis to Good Company, but to be a partner with Group Black in the marketplace. Travis, you've had a remarkable journey as an entrepreneur in a relatively short period of time. Can you just kind of riff a bit and tell us how it all got started? Yeah. So I think the inspiration came because my mom was like a way better entrepreneur than I could ever imagine. I'm kind of first generation. She moved here from Jamaica, started multiple hair salons, like really phenomenal woman. And I always took her uh, example with wanting to do something for myself at some point in time. Quick story on me. Like I, when I started, I actually was working in restaurants. Uh, I worked in at Chick-fil-A at 15, got promoted there my first year to my first management position at 15. And then by the time I was 17, I was a GM and training director managing about 120 people and helping with South Florida expansion and got to know the CEO of Chick-fil-A really well. They gave me a scholarship to go to college. Like it was really a phenomenal situation. And then I realized while in college, I wanted to kind of do something or expand my horizons and think of something else. While I was in college, I got really fascinated about what was happening in the world of technology, more specifically big data and personalization. And, you know, at the time I started a company called Splice to build an app that leveraged machine learning to deliver people personalized news and video content, uh, raise the friends and family around while I was in college to get that journey started. That company eventually became Emoji, which became Holler. And at this point has raised over $50 million for Holler. And, and that's kind of how my entrepreneurial journey began. It was when I started the company Spliced, I actually wanted people to share more with each other on that application. And so while I was building that app, I had an epiphany, which was, well, maybe the reason why people don't share content is because they don't have anything to say per se, but everything you see makes you feel a certain way. So what if you just shared that? And so at the time, I removed all words from the platform, allowed people to react with one of 12 emoji, and that's all that people did. And so in the world where there's many places to get news and video content, this notion of digital communication or visual expression was novel and important as more of our conversations were moving online. And that was the birth of my desire to create this new space called conversational media and uh, doing all the innovative work that we're doing today with Holler. Holler has over 70 million users and over 1.4 billion messages a day. 
Um, and so it's been an incredible journey to build build the business to there. What I love about that is you started the story with your mom. So that makes me like you even more that your mom was your model to show you the entrepreneurial spirit and the and the road ahead. So you had me at hello on that. And I know so many people will share that. Anybody who uses their mom as their guide, good luck. You're going to be in much better shape. So thank you for that little journey. Travis, as you're thinking about the influence that somebody like you with your great success at such a young age had and continues to have, are there particular lessons that you've learned along the way, A, and you know those that jump out at you? One question I always like to ask is, were there any, I know one is your mom, but were there any other particular people that were mentors or role models for you that you said, I can learn from that person? Are there any names or people or experiences that jump out at you that helped you on that journey? Yeah, yeah. So one of the first kind of philosophies that I've adopted in every single thing I do, and you'll see this in both the companies that I founded or co-founded and managed, which is to build a good business in this day and age means that you're building businesses that look at profits and outcomes in context of their values, right? And so, you know, when I think about whether what the work that we're doing at Holler, I'm building a business that lives inside of the messages that people send every single day. Right. And so we have an incredible system. We made incredible amount of investments in privacy tech. And we wanted to make sure that we had data practices and, and protected consumers long before it was in vogue. Or when you look at what we're doing at Group Black, how do we build something that helps various communities in different ways? And so you'll see a common thread with respect to the ethical nature of the businesses that I seek to build, I desire to build, I work in every single day. And that, and and I think from an entrepreneur perspective, if I gave anyone advice, I believe that, you know, just building a business with values in mind and with a firm understanding of how it impacts society and the community writ large is important. The second thing that I would say is a lot of people look at the performance of a company as how much revenue is it making, Right. Whereas the performance or direction of a company is seen way before that moment in time. Revenue is a trailing indicator of value or performance. A little further up is the products, right? That it's it's launching, but way at the highest level, it's the people. When I want to understand the direction that a company is taking, I look at the people it's hiring right? As the first indicator of a business's outcomes. And so if that's the case, then if we're building businesses, we have to have the most robust people strategy, period, right? And so a people first strategy is how I've driven, how I've built businesses. And it's really, it's really not just, you know, hey, we treat our people well. It's like, how do we attract, retain, develop, and all of those things? And how do we design culture? Yeah. Travis, I can't agree with you more. And let me give you a little anecdote that I share. And I always will give credit to the person that I learned this from. I was conducting an interview with a guy named Justin Smith, who runs Bloomberg Media. And previous to that, he ran The Atlantic, and he's a well-known executive in our industry. And I was interviewing him at a conference years ago, and he said, you know, I'm CEO of Bloomberg Media, but my real title should be CTO. I said, I didn't know you were a tech guy. He says, no, 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 chief talent officer. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I think the role of a CEO is to be able to identify the right talent 
to surround yourself with, to populate your enterprise with. And so therefore, I think the role of a CEO is as much to be that chief talent person. And it sparked and it resonated with me because I believe it. And what he said was, and it was such an instructive comment. He said, if you're lucky enough to stumble on a strategy as a CEO without the right talent, okay, good, good on you. But there's no freaking way you're ever going to get it executed if you don't have the right people around you. So if you're lucky enough to land a strategy without the right people, that could happen. You could have a lightning bolt. But to make it actually come to fruition, you need the right people. And to me, that was a really important lesson. And you just articulated companies are about profits and and revenue and, and EBITDA and all the buzzwords, but it's really about the people. Whether you're in the widget business or the service business or the technology business, none of that happens without the people, right? Well, Michael, you know, the thing here, what you're saying, why it's extremely salient to me is that you know, I'm still a 20-something-year-old entrepreneur, right? And You know, I liked you at the beginning. I forgot you were still that young. I'm not sure about you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing here is, um, you know, when I started my first business when I was in college, I didn't know, I studied finance. I didn't know product. I didn't know technology. I didn't know advertising. I didn't know media. I didn't, didn't know a lot of things, right? What I did know was what the opportunity was. I understood our vision well, and I was able to get a lot of people, really smart, awesome, talented people who did know all those things to come help me build the kind of machines that we've built. I physically had to, right? Focus on getting the best talent. And I actually think that even as I've become, in working with all the people that I've worked with over the last several years, I've become you know a lot more knowledgeable about all these different spaces, but I actually want to continue to keep that spirit of, I am the young kid in college trying to attract all the smartest people who know a lot more than me. Yeah, no, trust me on that. And keep that up, my friend, because- Shortly, I'm going to turn 71 years old, and I still think I'm the young guy. So, you know, it's a mindset. We have all heard people talk about, gee, I used to be the youngest, now I'm the oldest. There's a secret somebody told me years ago, the way to feel young is to hang around with really old people. So You're the most youthful one out of all of us, Michael. Well, there you go. And by the way, I've always been a believer in chronology is just a number. You can learn from and be mentored by people at all stages of their careers if you pay attention. And if you identify, you know, things to me, that's part of mentorship, just watching and learning. And one of the things, so, you know, there's the, there's the team, the teams that I build, I've actually, I've maintained such great relationships with the executives and board and all these people because they, they, I, I built trust with them and, you know, they know I respect them for their capabilities, et cetera. Um, the other thing too is like I so my, my co-founder uh, Rich Lou Dennis, who is the co-founder and chairman of Group Black, you know he's been a he's been a tremendous mentor and backer of mine for a long time. He was actually one of our earliest investors and at Holler, right? And he supported me uh, then. Um, you know he's he's taught me a lot about how do you build businesses that have kind of sustainable ways of existing. Like if I look at what he did with Sundial, the business that he sold to Unilever. He reinvented like how the whole supply chain for that business and in, in such a way where he created so many jobs for women in Africa. He put 80, 000, over 80,000 women in school, 
right? Like there's all of these really, the, there was so many great examples, uh, you know, Rich being a veteran entrepreneur and me as an early entrepreneur that he was backing had taught me about how to, to build, build businesses and how to build businesses that are good to people. Uh, and so, you know, I think I would, from a mentorship perspective, I've really always admired the way he's approached conducting businesses. Rich is a superstar. And if you had to pick a mentor or a primary mentor, he would certainly be high on my list of somebody that you could learn from and that I could learn from. And I continue to as we get the chance to work together. Let me switch gears for a moment, Travis, to an area that is, as you know, extremely important to me, but I know it's something that you are extraordinarily passionate about. And and that's the DNI that we are all so appropriately focused on right now in terms of diversity, equality, inclusion, and for people of color, but for everybody. I look at diversity through the lens of ethnicity or preferences, but I also look at it through the lens of skill sets. I'm glad you bring that up. So what's interesting, like I think some people think that the work that we're doing at Group Black has been the beginning of a lot of the work that I do around diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, right? It's actually started way before that. So like you, if you look at where the platform that I've built over the last several years, it's been really about how do we drive in our society in different ways, whether it's corporate America, whether it's our products, whether it's from all of these different aspects, how does diversity touch these things? I actually did a piece that I, it was, was I think it was in Inc. or Fortune, or I think it was a Fortune article that I did during the time around George Floyd that talked about how just achieving diversity in an organization, it shouldn't be our end goal, changing the current corporate culture should, right? And one of the things that I called out in that particular piece is that a lot of times, when we think about diversity, especially from a corporate culture perspective, we treat it as a bolt-on, right? And saying we have a diversity practice, we are working to get our kind of ratios right, but we didn't think about how do we fundamentally change the organization to be more inclusive, diverse, and where people belong. And so that's the key objective. And it needs to be a situation where the organization is bought in that change. I was on a panel where somebody asked, well, whose responsibility is it <laughs> right, in the organization? And I said, well, literally, that's everybody, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not just your chief diversity officer or HR. It's everybody. I couldn't agree with you more. It's everybody. And then the second thing is diversity. You said it right, which is diversity isn't all male, female, black, white, Hispanic, like any of that. Diversity is diverse. And I treat that in every aspect of what we do. There's even situations where you look at certain types of organizations and it's lacking males, right? Like you have to look at how we design the system to make sure that we're giving it the opportunity to be truly diverse. And it even goes as far, I mean, at Holler, we've even gone as far as looking at what holidays are we celebrating, right? Like how are we creating space for people to appreciate and actually celebrate differentness? One of the things that I did at Holler too, like I, we have such a strong focus on this and we realized that large companies have a lot of resources to be able to build organizations and people to focus on this specifically. But if you're a smaller organization, what can you do to ensure and instill 
that diversity is happening, right? And, and you're building the, the right type of culture that is, is going to achieve those outcomes, especially since small businesses drive most of the workforce, right? Absolutely. So if we're going to make change, so I built a platform called DibSource, where small businesses in an open source fashion can contribute things that they are doing at their organizations. And so they can share information and learn. And I thought that was an important project because, you know, there wasn't really a lot of great information out there for smaller businesses and startups and stuff like that to to exchange ideas around what they could be doing to drive diversity and inclusion. So we did that. But even when I look at from a Black perspective, the conversation around diversity, a lot of people have the perspective that even though Group Black is focused on Black-owned media, we are diverse there too, Right. You build a Black-owned business the same as you build a white-owned business or any other kind of business. Yeah, it should be reflective of the general population. So let me say it proudly. Our work together at Group Black, last time I looked in the mirror, I'm white. Yet I'm part of that team in a meaningful fashion. I feel like that, that I embrace our opportunities. So there you go. Exactly. Yeah, it's diverse voice. I'm an old white Jewish guy, and here I am, you know, partnering with Group Black. So I don't know how we qualify that. Look... Hey, it's a shared vision and mission, right? Let's talk about that shared group mission and vision for Group Black, because where I'd love to bring our conversation is to what are you building and what excites you most about the opportunities that are in front of you at Group Black? I mean, I think it would be good to talk about the mission and the goals. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about that. So one of the things that we've realized, one of the things I fundamentally believe Given all the events of 2020, I believe that our collective consciousness has been raised as a society, right? And what I've been inspired by is the amount of people and organizations who have been putting energy behind driving equity and looking inwards. And that's been really fantastic. And we've had a lot of really great partners in our journey. I think the key thing has been for us is like, we believe that media is a fundamental part of driving the perceptions and the stereotypes and things that exist in society, right? Media is the types of content that people consume and the way people are portrayed, et cetera, drives that overall perspective. And we fundamentally believe that monopolistic media is dangerous for society, right? And so we need to drive diversity and ownership of media We need to support diverse voices, and therefore, we're creating an environment that creates a a media ecosystem that drives the society that where we are, right, and how how things actually behave. And so that's why we, fundamentally, that's why we start there at Group Black. Right now, the fact that only 0.5% of media dollars is invested in Black-owned media, we thought was inappropriate, right? And so we wanted to work with the industry to do a couple things. One build the next generation of innovative media brands that are Black-owned, right? Because at the core, the Black-owned media industry is still very nascent and it has been heavily underfunded and it needs more acceleration to grow. Two, we're driving scalable investment into Black-owned media. And, you know, you saw the $75 million announcement we had with Group M. We continue to uh, work with the industry for relationships of similar or greater scale. And it's been really great. And the next thing is, equip Black-owned media companies with technologies and and things that drive innovation. 
And then lastly, we invest from a group Black Ventures perspective. And investment means we invest physical capital in Black-owned companies, but it's, it's everything. And you know what we describe Group Black is the home for Black-owned media. And our mission is very simple. It's to dramatically transform the face of ownership investment and investment in media because we believe in this broader world called the inclusion age, right? What is the inclusion age? The inclusion age is a place where we don't need diversity and inclusion initiatives anymore. It just is, right? And that's not just for Black, that's for everyone, right? Like we really believe in this future world where women and LGBTQ plus and Black and other people of color, like we're tired of hearing the conversation. And so we believe that we've achieved our mission at Group Black, but we're no longer necessary. Well, to me, that is the goal. That is the holy grail. That is the touchdown, the field goal, the grand slam home run. If we can get to a point where it's just the way we do what we do, we don't need to make it a separate line item for diversity, inclusion, and equality. It's just what we do. Yeah. Well, Michael, look, here's what I'll say is we need a lot more of you, right? There's many people who look at the world the way you're looking at it. There's also people who don't, right? And so in our mind, we need to, how do we continue to create an environment where there's a lot more of the former, right? The second thing too is like, Look, I think that, and we're heavily involved in a lot of it, I think that the industry is working on some really significant work to drive change right now. And I have, you know, I happen to know that you obviously we work together on a lot of stuff. So I, we, know, we know some of this work that's going on, but the types of actions and involvement and learning that I think the industry is doing right now is more significant than I've ever seen. And the thing, the thing there too, you know, we've been invited into a lot of organizations to help explain, right? Like what we mean by black owned, define it. What is it? Black owned doesn't mean black targeted. Black owned companies could be general market. Black, like there's like, there's a lot of things that we've been teaching people and that, and, and people are learning and getting it, which has been great. It's education. And and look, Travis, what you've said is what we all hope we get to. It's people like you and Rich, and I'd like to include myself in that, that are helping the industry address these issues in a meaningful way and knowing that when you're behind, you need to catch up. So yeah, you may need to be overcorrecting in places and overcompensating for things that haven't been done right previously. What I grew up with being Jewish was my grandmother taught me, again, being in a minority and sometimes being discriminated against in the context of that. I was always taught that you had to stay ahead to keep up. So it's not something that I'm unfamiliar with. And I know that sounds kind of hollow when it comes from somebody of my vintage and, and whatnot, but it's not hollow at all. It's There's truth to that. And so overcorrection and the things we need to do to, to right-size these issues that's going to take effort, but it's going to take education first. And if you don't educate people, the effort may be misguided or what have you. So we all have a responsibility to educate and to illuminate and to shine clig lights on this topic so that people make it part of their daily bread. That's it. And that's still, you know, if I look at some of the most tightly aligned partners that we've had, that is the core of it, right? Like we're not, we're not saying to, and this is one of the big things that I make sure I talk about to 
any of our strategic partners. We're not trying to say that we want you to invest in Black-owned media and not work, right? That is not what we're saying. What we're saying is, is that there are real challenges that are, because of lack of investment for a long time, exist. And we're going to work together to change that. We're going to do innovative work together. We're going to figure out how do we widen opportunities. We're going to figure out how do we make it work for brands. We're going to figure all those things out together. And it's about data sharing and insights that allow us to do that. And we're putting together, kind of mobilizing some of the most sophisticated people in the industry to help tackle this. Well, Travis, look, here's the sad part of a podcast. I could just chat with you forever. And I'm hoping we will have that opportunity as partners and friends. But unfortunately, we're going to have to come to a close on this conversation, at least part one of it. Let's say that. I'm an optimist. But Travis Montague, you are somebody to be admired for your age and stage. What you've accomplished is nothing short of magic. And I know, for one, you've got a lot of magic you're going to deliver to your partners and to this industry and to the world at large through the lens of Holler and through the lens of Group Black and through the lens of Travis Montague. And I'm proud to say friend and partner. And more importantly, I want to say thank you, Travis, for joining me on Good Company. You've been extraordinarily good company. No, thank you, Michael. This has been a great chat. Always a blast. And thanks for having me. You haven't heard the last of me, baby. (laughs) You just holler. (laughs) There you go. I'm Michael Kasson. Thanks for listening to Good Company. Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio. A special thanks to Lena Peterson, Chief Brand Officer and Managing Director of MediaLink, for her vision on Good Company. And to Jen Seeley, Vice President Marketing Communications of MediaLink, for programming amazing talent and content. 